You know, it's not the first time we talk about this. Any sane business person has to find ways to bring stability to his business. And if you look at the traditional business world, I mean, everybody will tell you, you know, don't don't put all your eggs in the same basket. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Web 2, Web 3 or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, you can't be heavily, too heavily reliant on one source of not necessarily revenue, but, you know, different streams of activity. You know, the token is great, but ultimately what's important is definitely to be a sustainable business. That is my co-host and CEO of the Ember Project, Jason Dominique, discussing the elephant in the room, the crypto winter. Him and I discuss what it takes for a Web3 project to be successful in this kind of climate. We also discuss how traditional payment platforms work and how Web3 can be a successful alternative to those options. What does it mean to turn physical assets into digital currency? And how is Amber positioned to be able to take advantage of this kind of landscape? We answer these questions and more. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Today at Ember, its hosts, Rob Velossi and Jason Dominique and their guests are not financial advisors unless otherwise disclaimed. The content on Today at Ember is for educational and entertainment purposes only and merely cite their own personal opinions. Know that all investments involve some form of risk. Please work with an investment professional. And now onto the show. Hello, hello, and happy Thursday. Welcome to episode 25 of Today at Ember, an informative podcast series brought to you by the Ember Project, where we speak about multiple subjects matter. We also bring on guests when we can. This week is a special Today at Ember live episode where myself, your host, Rob Velazzi, joined by uh, my co-host and CEO of the project, Jason Dominique. Jason, how are you doing today, buddy? Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks, Rob. Um, doing great. How about yourself, Rob? I'm doing pretty great, man. Absolutely. I think this week too, you know, we we thought it was time that you and I had a, just a discussion. You and I, there's a lot of stuff that's been going on in the markets. We believe that you and I have a particular take that, you know, a lot of things the media is not looking at, you know, for those that are in the crypto sector, we can see what the media is focused on now, what they're talking about. We don't really think that's relevant. We think that's a lot of noise. So Jason, and I like to have our own sort of discussion on what's happening. We're going to talk about payment systems, how DeFi is going to be implemented. We're going to be talking more about Amber and what we have coming in for the future. But first, we'd like to start out with, you know, what the crypto winter. That's what the big conversation with a lot of people are. I know that I was making a joke off air that, you know, even last season, we've been saying winter's coming for an entire season, just like Game of Thrones has been to alluding to it. And now that we have some insight and in, in what we've been thinking about kind of planning for this. Yeah. Um, like you're saying, you know, we we saw the winter coming. And this is something we, you know, it's not the first time we talk about this. Um, any sane business person has to, you know, find ways to bring stability to his business. And if you look at the traditional business world, I mean, everybody will tell you, you know, don't, don't put all your eggs in the same basket. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Web 2, Web 3 or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, you can't be heavily, too heavily reliant on one source of not necessarily revenue, but, you know, different streams of activity. You know, the token is great, but ultimately what's important is definitely to be a sustainable business. And broadly speaking, you know, it's funny how 
Like in Web3, a lot of projects are all about, you know, creating utility. And this is something that that totally was new to me when I, I started working in that space. And I was like, well, no kidding. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, <laughs> Of course it has to have a utility. Like when a startup in the world is like, wait, you don't have a product? What, what are you selling? Just air here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like... How can I like not think about utility? Like, what's the purpose then? It's just like speculation. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that numbers even show it. Like, you know, in in startup, you know, ninety nine percent of people in the real startup tech world, it's all about utility. You know, only occasionally do you have you know certain projects will slip through that are all you know, frankly, excuse my language, kind of bullshit and selling air. Where you know, right now with what we're calling, I guess, the post Luna times now in the sector that you know only 1% of projects that they're showing here only have actual utility only 1% it's the, it's almost flipped in this business and i think that that's something that when when we first decided to build this project that was the first thing that you always had that we wanted to do moving forward is to make sure we have actual real utility and a real purpose and real revenue models and and i think web3 is that avenue to do so yeah and Again, to to build parallel with you know the startup space in Web two is if you look back when it really sort of exploded the initial first days where you know a lot of investment was flowing in just like a bit like in Web three and this is where you can similarly build sort of parallel is that most businesses did not have revenue models they had utility. But they had no revenue model. If you look like oh, Facebook for 10 years, they did not have a revenue model. If you look at, you know, they were all about growth and they were all about ingestion and reducing the amount of friction as much as possible. And it was it was like, who can get to the most amount of whichever metric you, you want to you know, focus on whether it's daily active, monthly active, or monetizable user or whatever. But ultimately, all these VCs, they were simply looking at growth. They weren't looking mm-hmm. at revenue. And I think that, you know, similarly in crypto uh, right now in Web3, what's happening is regarding sort of the utility standpoint, it's like, does the project have traction? Is it, you know, attracting, you know, a lot of eyes and is it popular and, you know, all those sorts of things, but does it have real sustainable utility? Most of them don't. And they still attract quite a lot of, of investment, uh, but they're short-sighted. And mostly speculative. Yeah, exactly. And, and for me, I mean, you can't plan to be the luckiest one to be extremely popular and, and, and to have everyone talk about you. So, so you can't, sort of put that in your business plan. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's your go-to market strategy? It's like, be lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to be the realist, you know, you, well, ultimately you have to be, even though you have big ambitions, you know, ambitions and, uh, you know, you aspire to, you know, greatness, you, you have to be, uh, you know, grounded and you have to build something that, truly fixes a real problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for me, when I got into Web3, it was a no-brainer. You know what? You know, it's like, what are we fixing? And are we fixing it in a way that is truly remarkable? 
because I'm not interested in incremental change. I'm interested in disruptive change, you know, and that's really what's going to get people moving. It's not like, well, there's, and, and I'm not interested in, in a feature war, you know, I'm not mm. interested in, oh, you know, we have this feature and they have this feature. So we have I mean, to have this feature and then we have like, to outdo their feature. This. Yeah. I don't care about this. I'm really more, and I think this is the culture of Ember. I think we're all about like vision and really like more broad speaking type of endeavor, you know, that not necessarily are going to be timeless, but that need to endure all the different phases of, of crypto because it moves so fast. You can't change things every three months because the space has evolve or changed or anything like that, you need to have a constant north. And that north, it can't be based on a feature war anyway. Well, also too, as well as what people don't understand is that when when running a business, you know, it's not like riding a jet ski. It's more like navigating an aircraft carrier. You know, you have to have a vision and, and what your purpose is and have, you know, a sole singular focus on that because to able to, you know, if you're chasing features or chasing trends, to be able to move that aircraft carrier, it, it's a Herculean effort to do so. And then by the time you actually are changed direction, then the tides are changing again. And then next thing you know, you're just becoming an entirely reactive company. And then those those are never successful. And, yeah. you know, coming to parallels also, I did want to bring this up. You know, there's an old saying, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it always rhymes. And Mark Cuban made a great statement talking about how in the 90s, we are seeing something similar as what we're happening now in this space is that first there was a lot of hype, a lot of speculation, a bunch of people jumping into it. It created a bit of a bubble. You know, we saw that, you know, pets.com is the most notorious, uh, the most notorious, uh, uh, jet, jet.com, jet.com worse yeah. after just trying to kill Amazon. Right. Like, who remembers jet.com? I know. Like, so there was a lot of speculative push into there. And then, you know, the, of course that bubble burst. And then of course there was the whole talk about, oh, is the internet just a fad? You know, it's all speculative. And then it took some time to where we had this transition into what we now see as web two which is, you know, now pretty much changed the world when it comes to stuff like, you know, social media, the way media itself, you know, pretty much we've put newspapers out of business at this point. I mean, no one could have seen the trajectory that we're at. And Mark Cuban was making that same parallels of that's what we saw in the first couple of years of crypto. There was this huge, you know, boom and excitement, a lot of hype around it, but no one really knew how to, at least when it comes to, you know, the average everyday uh, uh, retail investor, no one really understood what its power can be and how you can actually utilize that and turn it into utility. And now with the beginning of Web3, which is something that, you know, we were talking, you know, last year with all the hype was NFTs, we were focused on Web3. Now everyone's talking about Web3, but we already have ourselves put ourselves in a position to where, you know, we can take advantage of what we will see the upcoming hype coming into the next year or so when we go to, you know, reach out to investors and VC and those kind of things, especially with our products. Yeah. And you're right, Rob. I mean, if you look at the general sort of status of the NFT market right now, and, you know, that was to be expected. A lot of people made a lot of money and that's great. But, you know, most of the space is about 97% down. Uh, So when you think about making sure that you know, you have utility and you're not just about speculation because right now there's no more speculation. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's either your bag holding or just like the project is like literally dead. Mm-hmm. So thinking ahead when for us, it's always been about this layer, this application layer with web three and 
when we set ourselves up for what we knew would be the enduring sort of talk of the town. And not only did we look into this space of like, how can we make sure that, you know, we're addressing real problem. We also felt that in that space specifically, the biggest barrier, and again, it's going back to what you said, you know, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it's a bit similar with, you know, when payments started to appear on the internet and it's the same thing with here right now is, you know, with this migration, we feel that the biggest roadblock beyond obviously education and, you know, the, those long-term behavioral and learning curve and all those sorts of things, we feel that the biggest blocker right now is this checkout process. Mm-hmm. You know, when you want to, it's the whole payment infrastructure but beyond payment infrastructure, it's, it's the experience itself. So this is why we're we're tackling what we feel is one of the, if not the biggest friction point mm-hmm. to onboard all those millions of people in the space, because it's only when people can be financially, emotionally involved or implicated that they start to care. And once they've passed that threshold, then they start caring and then they start spreading the word. And if we can make this easy and, you know, uh, enjoyable, that's going to be great. And that really sort of maybe you want to touch base on that topic, Rob. But I think this is a great sort of segue into, you know, traditional payment, like how it's been run. Yeah, and I think I think also too is it's it's funny you say this is this actually does segue into what our next topic was going to be. When you're talking about you know when people are emotionally invested and when they make it enjoyable, when it makes it fun, also too, and when there's a level of interaction there, one of the biggest friction points is that accessibility part of it to have people to have access to it. But by being those things, by being fun, by by having you know um, to where it makes sense to you, where you're emotionally involved. Right now, in the way the payment system works in traditional, you know, legacy payment platforms, you know, Visa, MasterCard, I don't care if it's Apple Pay or just, you know, when it comes to your regular debit card, it's been, you know, pretty much the same way for 50 years. There's nothing exciting about that. You know, there's nothing that's, that can be something to be innovative in that space, or at least people thought until recently. For those that, you know, are unaware that the way that this country and our economy really works is really about risk aversion and debt settlement. So, you know, when the actual physical currency of a dollar is, it's not a digital asset, you know, it's not ones and zeros on a, on a computer, as people would some say, it still is backed by, you know, hard currency, you can't, you know, or, or even gold, some of these things, these assets that are not, you know, transferable in a digital way. And the way that traditional finance works is that, let's say I pay something with a chase card, their money isn't actually instantaneously transferred over to, to let's say, Wendy's or Chipotle like you would with a digital asset, like if you were to do, let's say, buy something with Ember, where that happens immediately. The way debt service and debt settlement works in this country is, is that, you know, you're basically, the bank is saying that your credit is good enough with us to where we're going to float you with this amount of money that we're hoping that you can somehow cover on the back end. We're going to connect all those dots and Chipotle is going to hope that that money is still going to come through because there's being reassured by these different banks that when that settlement, that money is actually going to come in at some specific point. And because we're doing all this work on the background to make sure that happens, we're going to charge the merchant 
you know, a large substantial amount of, you know, a substantial part of your business, you know, these fees can add up very, very quickly because we're here to make sure that settle all that debt to have these guarantees, et cetera. So we're charging you a large amount. Yeah. And it's great that we're touching base on this because at the end of the day, how it works, you know, not everybody wants to know how it works. You know, what no, matters they, they to don't the care about user. the sausage is made. They don't care about how the sausage is made. Exactly. You know, the end user, they just want it to work. Like, it, I don't care how it works. Just, you know, when I get there, I want to pay and I want you to give me what I want. Mm-hmm. And that's it, you know? So, you know, when, when we started, not we, but like as a society, when we started or when we wanted to bring this physical asset, which is the dollar or whichever country you're in, it's something that isn't inherently digital. So since it isn't, then the whole system had to figure out a way to move it. And essentially what they found is there's no way of making it move fast. So ultimately it has to rely on you know, what they call is sort of a promise of future settlement. And not it, as you're saying, Rob, this created a lot of problems because this problem at the core of it is sort of who is like, first of all, it automatically created the necessity of a trust system, of a trust of future settlement. And that means it's a credit trust. Mm-hmm. It's like a promissory note. Yeah. So this whole empirical sort of world that is dominated by, you know, two essentially big companies, which are Equifax and TransUnion. I don't know if you have other in, in America, but those are our two biggest ones here, Equifax. And yeah. TransUnion. In Canada, these are the two big ones. And they are the one that essentially based on you know, big data and all those sorts of things. They're the one that decide if you're good for it or if you're not good for it. But the bottom line is... Also, too, just to add on that as well, is that that it's a very opaque process, too, on how they're making those calculations to decide what your level of credit is. So that's even another factor. We can get into that later of why DeFi changes that. But these very obtuse, you know, metrics that, you know, you really have no idea of what's affecting your credit or not. Yeah, yeah. But where I wanted to get to is, unfortunately, getting a credit score is not something, I mean, it's for the privilege. It's not something like when we were talking about, you know, in last week's episode, you know, about global income coin, you know, having an ID is something for the privilege. You know, have a verifiable ID is is not something that everybody in the world has. So we take for granted in the westernized world. Yeah, exactly. And I think the world that we live in, in terms of transactions and how money flows between, because what is a payment system? You know, a payment system is how do we take or like, how do we move money from point A to point B? Yeah, how do we escrow from point A to point B? We're the, we're the intermediary between those people. Yeah. So, and if you look at the more commerce side of things is how do you facilitate value transfer between B2B and B2C? And that's well, mostly B2C to B2B because it's it's the customer that pays the business, Mm -hmm. but it's not so much two way, but if you get a refund, it needs to work sort of two ways, but how do you enable the flow of value based on something that isn't digital. 
So it created this big monster, this massive headache that essentially is built on a future promise of settlement and is reserved this exclusively to the privileged, to the Western, uh, you know, Western world and the more um, more affluent countries. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when I got into crypto and and more specifically, you know, Web3 and 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 even more DeFi, this is where I got my aha moment, you know, and that's where I thought to myself, wow, you know, this is the moment where we can truly create or at least build something that 60, 70 years ago, if the currency that we had at that moment was digital, then we didn't, we wouldn't have have to build this whole like Visa and MasterCard. They would have never existed, you know, because they exist only to provide this bridge of money in the meantime. They support most of all of this float and they trans, like they settle everything for. Plus, also to a segmented market. I mean, you know, when, when this was first designed, they didn't think there would be, I mean, I don't know how many banks there are. Out there, I mean, the amount of different, you know, everything from things like Ally to, to like more traditional banking, like you know Chase or Western, you know um, Wells Fargo, to be able to connect all these and be the intermediary between them, to be able to have these, you know, credit checks between them all happening. That's why you know the market cap of Mastercard Visa, I think it's like what five hundred like billion or something, yeah, something <laughs> like that. And and these guys are ripe for disruption. You know, I'd be ready ready to put my hand in on a pile of embers and essentially tell you, you know, in five years. Unless they truly innovate in ways we can't even fathom, you know, Visa and MasterCard will be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be totally gone. And that will be a massive shift because DeFi and the blockchain is the first sort of infrastructure, this bare infrastructure that lets sort of money flow instantly between point A and point B, like real assets backed by liquidity. Like it's not like it transfers immediately. There's no there's no debt settlement. This is actually really going from point A to point B immediately. They have it in there. You actually yes. have a backlight liquidity. You have the actual value of it. Yes, and we're removing all of these intermediaries, all of these processes, all of these red tapes, all of these deep, deep pockets of people that are like like creating economies out of nothing on the back of like merchants and you know all those sorts of things and like this thing needs to go. Like yeah, it needs yeah. to go. We're here. This is really our time right now. You know, the old guard, if you think of Stripe, PayPal, you know, all these guys, they had to figure out a way to build a transactional layer on top of the internet. But now, you know, everybody knows that, you know, the backbone of what everything will be is blockchain. And now we're in the moment of creating the transactional layer on top of blockchain. And this will enable things that own, like that we could only dream, you know, 15 years, six, when, you know, when they built that on the internet, but even before, you know, when 50, 60 years ago, when they had to create this system for future settlement. So I'm, I'm super excited because the path that we're on truly delivers this essential service, which is an instant settlement on uh, on a purchase of goods. Yeah, on anything really. 
Yeah, well, right now we enable, you know, with the first version of, of Ember Checkout, we enable like the purchase of, of, of a token of a Web3 enabled project. And, but the path that we've embarked on is a path where, you know, we feel that in the future, and the future is quite soon, it's the next, you know, two to five years, it's a moment where everybody will probably own multiple different types of currencies, different types of assets. And these assets, you know, if they're backed by liquidity, then they should be or they should, they should be considered as something that could be transferable to anyone without any condition. And then the other party could decide to receive whichever currency that he wants. And in the middle, this is where all the magic happens. And this is sort of the peer-to-peer ember where you take any asset and you enter a merchant commerce situation use case and they decide, you know, I'm the kind of guy that believes and I want to receive that type of currency, whether it's a stable or not. And we settle that on the blockchain and, you know, you decide whichever default. It's almost like with Apple Pay, you have your wallet. And when I enter a shop, I'm like, okay, I put it on the tap and I choose which card I use to pay for this. I can set one as a default, but I can also on the moment, on the spur of the moment, change where I'll take my liquidity from. And it's the same thing with with how we envision being DeFi, the backbone of this future instant settlement based on any liquidity that you want. You know, you imagine a world and this is very, very real. You know, this is where the end user, Mike, as myself, goes into, let's say, or it goes to any merchant or whatever that use case may be. I decide what asset I want to, you know, pay with and liquidity and they get to decide and they have all the agency to decide how they want to receive that liquidity. Do they want to receive it in Polygon? Do they want to receive it in some, you know, layer two on on the Ethereum network? And, And all that stuff happens instantaneously without that whole debt settlement part of it. And I think also, too, is it it's so smart you bring this up, Jason, because I think a lot of the conversation that people are talking about when they, you know, when I was just at that Bitcoin conference, you know, I, I follow a lot of stuff that's being said in the media. And a lot of people talk about when they talk about the blockchain, they're always saying how the level of transparency and how, you know, it's this is a way to get rid of that uh, um, opaque nature of traditional finance. That's all well and good. But at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to investors or even raising capital or, you know, on the, how things are changing, by having everything, every purchase, every time I went to Chipotle, every time I went to 7-Eleven, to have that registered on the blockchain permanently, that's not very exciting. You know, when you, when you say that, people are like, like, who gives a shit that it's a, a permanent register of how many times I, I went to Chipotle? No one cares about that. But they'd be able to have what this is, what we believe is the real utility. What we're talking about is giving agency to both the, the merchant and to the consumer by having assets, avoiding that whole debt settlement. I think that's really the real power of crypto. That's a conversation I don't think anyone's talking about. I mean, some people are, but the broader conversation, I think, is missing that mark. Yeah, and then and then they can off-ramp if they want. I mean, it's truly up to them. But I think, you know, I mean, there's great projects, you know, on, on blockchain and, you know, um, on different layer ones and that they're 
very like the the settlement is i think the inherent issue here is that most of all these other sort of solution they are either one coin specific like hypothetically if i use like bitpay or something like that and you as a merchant you say you know i i want to start accepting crypto and i use bitpay bitpay is a multi billion dollar corporation you know it's massive it's not on the blockchain mm-hmm. you know they they just facilitate you know they don't have tokens or anything like that they're just like a, a business but that facilitate merchant to accept cryptocurrencies but if i'm a merchant let's say i'm the store that sells flowers or books online and i accept digital currency well if i do then i'll be pretty much you know limiting but let's say i only accept usdc or something like that then it automatically implies that me as a customer i need to be holding usdc mm-hmm. because that's what you take mm-hmm. and so that's very narrow minded it's not the world of openness and and all of this that we've envisioned it's still the same thing as what traditional finance is not just putting a new, a new coat of paint on it they're still using the same old playbook they're still using that same they're, yeah. they're approaching it in the same you know business model but now they're just replacing the dollar with this specific asset and they're still making a hold, hold to that I think it's sort of putting like blinds on the actual reality. And the reality is that it's going to be a very very diversified type of world where people will be holding currencies not based on geography. They'll be holding the future, you know, these type of economies will be built around culture, around ethos, around like vision and all those sorts of things and people are going to gather around these type of assets and we're start we're already starting to see it you know it's happening right now in the defi world you know you have these people that they're revolving around bitcoin and they're called you know maximalists and you have these people that that they believe you know in solana and you have these people that believe in polygon and you have these people that believe in even like emerging chain like Bitgert and all of them are are great you know they I I can't say you know that that one because at the end of the day these chains yes there's features and benefits but they're not in a feature and benefit war they're also in an ethos and culture and vision and this is where we're going are you in it you know or, or do you want to join us in in what we're you know seeing the world to be and that means that in the next 5 to 10 years while this is being built people are going to be holding these assets and these assets they are liquid they can be used as a currency and if i go into the shop and i'm holding all these different assets like why can i use these assets instantly to give it to someone else and this other person can receive whatever he wants and then we use the defi infrastructure to settle this and be where the sausage is done this is what we are just as a visa and all these other legacy systems where they figure it out for you because how it's done nobody cares nobody cares it's about can you make it happen and ember is building the thing that makes it happen i totally agree and i think it's i think it's interesting because last week when we interviewed the guys from global income coin and what they're doing with their asset, which I thought was pretty interesting. And one of the statements he made was 
that, you know, they're making an asset that's actually that they want to use to be spent. Because when it comes to certain things like Bitcoin and stuff like that, that people are talking about this, that really people are buying these things just to hold. So because they see it as speculatory to have some, you know, level of, you know, whether that's the hedge against inflation or try to get rich or whatever that your motivation is to be able to hold some of these assets. But the good thing is now with something like Ember is that you can decide of what is the asset that you want to spend and what it is you want to hold. We'll have the wallet there that decide, hey, okay, these are the speculative coins I'm holding as an investment. These are the ones that I have because I want to be able to use them and spend them because they work better depending on the blockchain or whatever my motivation is to do so. All of that will be in one place. They'll be able to have that utility if they want to have it while still working in the DeFi world. A lot of people you know, are sometimes confused when they say something like with Coinbase and they're like, well, Coinbase sort of lets you do something like that. Not necessarily, no. Coinbase is still operating on when it goes to purchasing something with their card is still working in that debt settlement world. They're just taping that beyond there without any transparency, without any, you know, plus to the fees are exorbitant. You don't know, really know what's happening like for gas fees and those kind of things. That's not DeFi. That's just them trying to take the traditional banking method and putting it on top of there. That's almost like a neobank. Yes. Like it's essentially like a neobank. And, and you know what? The latest revelation, which is not a revelation. I mean, at the end of the day, like... And I, I think people are seeing that too because their stock has taken a, a major dive. So <laughs> without going down the history lane, mm-hmm. but when people saw that, you know, if Coinbase goes bankrupt, essentially what you're 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 leaving there in, in the, your custodial wallet, well, they could actually use that to settle their debt or, you know, that, that could be... Well, I mean... That's always been the case with banks. It's always been the case. And the biggest example is Argentina. When the whole country collapsed, what happened? And the banks, you know, people tried to go to the bank and, and withdraw their money and, and their pension. And they, they, they couldn't do so. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not there. I'm sorry. It's gone. <laughs> it's yeah. just gone. And for those who don't realize in the States, FDIC only insures up to $250,000. Anything above that amount and the bank goes under, that's they're taking that money with you. And that's... <laughs> so wake up call. You know, it's like, guys, it's not your money. If you put it there, it's not your money. It's their money. And ultimately, they have the keys to your money. So I'm not saying that everybody should hold their keys of their money, but... When comes the time to truly own what we all work like crazy to earn, it's it becomes slippery now. You know, it's like, okay, so like I don't even own the keys of my hard ass earned money. And you're gonna charge me to use it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's even another part on top of it. I'm gonna charge you to use it. I mean, I for our younger viewers out there. There was a time when we used to put money in a savings account and you're used to be able to make money off of it. Those days have, I haven't seen them since I was in high school, but that, that those times used to actually exist. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is the world we envision. And like you're saying, you know, I think it's not a debate of who will reign supreme, like which coin will reign supreme. None of them will be. They will all have their specific values and ethos and and and. Just like if you're holding that that glow coin of you know last week's show, and you rock up you know at your liquor store or at the dog sort of you want to buy dog food and things like that, and you have this currency in there, and you'd be like, you know what, this week I'm going to start using glow coin. Why? Because I want to support 
the idea that or or the vision that I want to solve universal, yeah, basic income. And that's a real possibility. That's what I'm trying to say is there's no real winner. They're all winners. Like they're all winners in their own way. If they have liquidity, then we can let them be what they want to be. That's it. You know, if they're not in there to rug or something like that, yeah, it's fine. You coined the term, you know, when we we started doing this is being, you know, blockchain um, chain agnostic. And I think that's important too, because the great thing about us and, you know, kind of come totally full circle now is that, you know, we were talking before about having, you know, a real business model and multiple revenue streams and multiple things that we're doing is that regardless of, you know, there's not one coin to reign supreme. But regardless, we want to give agency to everyone. But no matter what coin is hot or at this particular time or what people are, Ember will always still have utility. Ember will always be able to leverage what's going on, you know, in the space to give, you know, all of these assets utility pretty much overnight, especially when this is launched. And that's what I think is really a sustainable business model because of regardless of what's happening in the sector, what's happening with this coin or, you know, like, you know, the whole Luna fiasco where, you know, was it a stable coin or not? The great thing about our business model is, is that we're not reliant entirely on our tokenomics. We obviously have, you know, levers inside of our business model that are going to benefit the token and benefit our investors. We're always thinking about that. But at the end of the day, you know, our revenue model and our and our business model is always going to be successful regardless of what's happening in the sector because of the utility that we're offering. Yeah. And this is the only way we feel we can provide great and constant utility and innovation to our you know our our token by generating revenue and that's how we can reinvest in finding unique and innovative ways to um you know create more utility and then more utility and then more utility so it's a snowball after time yeah but also we need to be careful and and not being too like jack of all trades master of none yeah exactly uh, so we're very, very focused at the moment, and we try to do that extremely well. So sometimes people might think, you know, it's why isn't it ready or whatever. I mean, it'll be ready when it's going to be ready because we want to do it correct, extremely well. Yeah, exactly. And this is a hard-ass problem that we're fixing. It's not that simple, and there's a lot of moving parts, something we've said before, but we're setting ourselves up for success. And when, when the time is right, which is very, very shortly, you know, it's very, sh- very soon, you know, we'll go out with a bang. Well, I think also, especially now too, I think that, you know, especially our community and investors in general should be very understanding of this, especially in a time with, a lo- there's such a high level of scrutiny now across the board with anything that's released in the sector, especially after, you know, and I hate to be sound redundant of bring up the Luna fiasco and some other projects out there of what's happened. Uh, I'm not going to name drop to, to, to avoid, um, you know, kind of throwing dirts in their wounds, but that, you know, with, with this level, with what's going on there, such a high level of scrutiny. Now everything we launch, it has to be world-class, has to meet a certain standard because people are going to be going through these things, stress testing it, going through with a fine tooth comb because, you know, people want, to 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 believe in certain projects and everything, but now they say, you know, fool me once, They've been shame on me. Yeah. So much. Burn me once, shame People on me. People have been burned. Burn me twice, shame on me. You know what I mean? So 
at this point, they're not playing around anymore. And we, we're aware of that. And that's something that we've always been doing from the forefront. That's why you know, you've kind of built one of our community, of our company cultures, is to do everything world-class because there will be a time when this is held to a standard, and we're seeing that now, of any traditional startup or tech company. And yeah, it's, it's the burden that we decided to put on ourselves, and it's to lead by example and set the standard. And that comes with, you know, a lot more work to be done, you know, especially in a space where, you know, there's a lot of innovation, but it's a bit chaotic, you know, so we try to bring a little bit more clarity to really like the thing that, that truly surprised me the most. And, you know, I've rent, I've rented multiple time on that subject, but what truly surprised me the most is, you know, project leaders in the DeFi space, they're supposed to be the one that are sort of what we could call anti-FUD, you know? But their job, their job is to be the steward of, you know, making sure people feel certainty, making sure they feel good about their investment. Yeah, making sure that they feel safe, making sure that, you know, they have a great experience and making sure, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. But yet, they're the one that they decide to send people to direct them to. Yeah, they they direct them in a place of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You know, when you send someone that is hyped about your coin, unless he's a crypto veteran or a crypto enthusiast, if he's just a crypto curious, he lands on your website, he thinks this is amazing, and he clicks on buy now and you send him to a place he's never been before. He doesn't understand the whole mechanics of a DEX. He's like, those things are cryptic where the with. fuck did I just <laughs> land in? Like, what the hell is this? And I'm like, this is the purest definition of FUD. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I'm fearful of what I'm seeing right now. I am uncertain because, and and I have extreme level of doubts. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. is this going to work? How, how, use, how do I use this now? And it seems to- totally cryptic. Even if you give me 12 steps on how to do it, it doesn't cut it. Mm-hmm. It does not cut it. It's still going to create FUD. Maybe not the type of FUD that is sort of seen in the space where someone is spreading FUD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Spreading FUD is like something that, you know, whatever. It's a I mean, byproduct of just the space. Yeah, but the real FUD is the one that every single person is experiencing when they enter the space. And it's tangible. It's tangible and palpable. When you go on there, it even happens to me today when we bring on these new chains. Some of these things when we're exploring and bringing on projects and these new DEXs and I'll go to there and I'm like, I'm even scared of it. And I'm supposedly a veteran who knows how to do this stuff. I'm like, whoa, what is this exchange? Yeah. (laughs) And the problem with Web3, because we've been promised that Web3 should be amazing. Like it should be like the next iteration of the Internet. But it feels way worse. Like it feels really complicated. It feels foreign. It feels foreign. So if I'm coming from Web 2, where I have this beautiful experience and everything's exciting and easy and there's continuity and design language I understand. Exactly. And you're telling me that the next big thing is Web 3 and I enter in there and I'm like, hell no. (laughs) I'm staying in Web 2. And you know what? We feel that the biggest problem of Web, you know, Web 3 is 
It's because it doesn't feel like Web 2. <laughs> That's yeah. simply put as... Yeah. Because Web3 needs to feel like Web2. Web That's the only way you'll get everybody to come. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're focused on. We're focused on making sure you know, that the migration will not be felt. It'll be just as simple and just as easy and just as enjoyable. And there's not going to be any fun. It's, like, it's almost like you need to do interviews every day and you're like, you know what? You went into Web3. How did you feel? Well, I felt all of these things. Okay, let's address all of these things and make sure next time you come, you're not experiencing any of those things. And that's basically our motto. So, and what's what's funny is too is is that for some reason this always happens in the industry, which you think by now that they would learn that every time, occasionally, when it comes to a new version of something where it's pretty much the next upgrade has a lot of promises, that somehow that they don't have that continuity from the last iteration to this iteration and it feels foreign and it becomes a big issue with adoption. I mean, even Windows had this issue. Remember years ago when they got rid of the start button and they had to do this whole big backtrack and all this kind of stuff. People were like, what is going on here? So for some reason, you know, the, the tech sector, you know, they have such ambition and they want to be disruptive. You see a lot of these time, a lot of these terms used all the time. We're trying to be the next disruptive thing. They go so far in that direction that they forget that, you know, you need to bring these people along with you, that you have to have a way to make them adopt this next iteration for it to be, feel comfortable to where, and they, and they see it's useful and be like, wow, this is a, a better version, not, oh my God, what did you just throw me into? And I think that's something that yeah. we've, we've been focused on from the beginning here. And just to give a little, uh, uh, to allude to something very quickly too, for those of you that, you know, are very big on our community, I know some of the community members have noticed, we're not going to make any announcements here. But we do suggest that, you know, if you want to see what some of the big plans are that we have in the works to go to our website, you're going to see something, I guess that could be a little Easter egg of things to come that we have working and something that we're going to be integrating across the board. And we think it's really our home run idea that's going to make integration easier and accessibility easier. And I think it's really exciting. Yeah, it's again, it's going to make Web3 feel like Web2. We call it the checkout launcher. And essentially, it's something that follows you just like a chat bubble. If you know you need any support or anything like that, then you can trigger it. But it's not about support. It's about you know if if you're a Web three enabled project and you know one of your core have to is to sell and to get people to be able to purchase your your token, then you you got to make it easy and you got to make it enjoyable and you got to make it uh, seamless and frictionless and that's what it is. Yeah, it's working now. It's working now. You guys go ahead, go to joinemberembr.com. You guys can easily find it. Um, it's a little bit of Easter egg. I don't want to give too much away of what it is, but it's so seamless and so easy and works so well. You'd be like, oh, again, the simplicity is so great. It's complicated behind the scenes, but it's so simplistic. People are like, oh, yeah, that's easy. Like this, like why did no one ever think of this before? Yeah. So hopefully we've been able to. You know, there wasn't any specific plan in this show, but um, hopefully we've been able to enlighten you on if you didn't know yet. Well, at least now you know that, you know, how truly powerful DeFi is compared to the legacy system and how we intend on leveraging that technology. And we're not the only one. I mean, there's a lot of endeavors out there and lots of projects that are very, very focused on payments at the moment, whether they are Coinbase, whether they are Flues or one of those other products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's so many projects out there, but 
it's not necessarily, I mean, we're, we're all in this together and ultimately we have a way of, of seeing, you know, the next iteration of this whole transactional payment layer. And uh, yeah, we're super excited about it. Well, and just to add to really quick before we get out of here, you know, we're, we're approaching our time is that, you know, competition, I believe is always a good thing, especially too in this space, because when we have a lot of people focusing, trying to solve the same problem in different ways, the good thing is, is that we can see what other projects are doing or other organizations, seeing where they're not hitting the mark properly, seeing the pitfall, you know, avoiding the pitfalls that, that they kind of came across. And we're able to, to use that information to what I believe, especially when you take a look at what I think is really one of the most frictionless ways to buy a currency on, on a website or to buy an asset in general, which will be a, way, a great way to buy anything in the future moving forward. I think that we really are, are, are setting the standard and I, and I hope the community gets to see that. And we'll, we'll speak a lot more about, about that when we, when we do our real full-on launch coming up shortly. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. So I think that really, you know, wraps it up for uh, today. Um, we're, uh, we're excited about next week. We have some uh, exciting new guests and uh, keep an eye out on, you know, the socials. You'll, you'll be able to see uh, who's coming on today at Ember next week. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Like I said, go ahead, make sure you follow us, subscribe, like. You can always catch us anywhere you catch any of your favorite podcasts on any of those platforms. Jason, it's been a real pleasure. I am your host, Rob Lotzi. This has been another episode of Today at Ember. See you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Today at Ember. If you like the show, please rate and review. You can find us on all of the major podcasting platforms. You can also tune in to our live stream on YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Thanks again for listening and see you on the next episode.